Thanks for tuning in to NL News Day. It's Friday, July the 9th. And let's look ahead to the weekend here because Sport Market. It's going to run right here on Radio NL, Saturday from 2 to 6 and Sunday from 5 to 9. Host Tom Manek rates and debates the bulls and bears of sports business and takes a behind-the-scenes look at the sports business stories that matter most to fans. I'm pleased to welcome to the show now Tom Manek. Tom, how you doing? I am doing uh, very well. Uh, uh, you know, Tampa Bay Lightning, got to give them full props. But I'm hoping that one of these years a Canadian-based team uh, will win a Stanley Cup. But we still have to wait at least another year. Yeah, we will have to wait at least one more. So what are we going on here? I mean, 1993, so 28, 29 years will be the streak if we don't see one, uh, you know, come back to Canada next uh, summer. Uh, let's start by talking about that lightning win. I mean, is this a good thing for hockey to see a team in, in Florida winning back-to-back cups? I think the intrigue about like a, a, a dynasty, if you will, of some type is always, you know, nice to read about and nice to follow, but I don't feel like Tampa Bay is, is the biggest of hockey markets here. Uh, well, you know, there's no question that uh, there's different tiers of winners. Uh, when you have an original six brand winning a Stanley Cup, uh, uh, like the Boston Bruins have done, uh, you know, over the past decade, uh, like the Chicago Blackhawks have done three times, uh, like the Detroit Red Wings did in those, you know, big 1990s, uh, you know, Stevie Wise uh, uh, heyday, uh, when you've got the New York Rangers going back to 1994, whenever you get a heritage brand, Winning a Stanley Cup, it's a big deal. Of course, it would be a huge deal in Canada for one of the original six brands, either Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, to win a Stanley Cup. Then you've got the original expansion franchises. You know, the Pittsburgh Penguins, L.A. Kings, you know, they've got good following in Canada. But then it does drop to probably, to, you know, two other tiers. Uh, the bottom rung are the teams that have never won. And then you've got teams in uh, let's say, non-traditional hockey markets winning. And that's where the Tampa Bay Lightning fit. They're similar to the Carolina Hurricanes that way in the sense that, um, you know, it's a, they've become a really popular team in their market, but the sort of halo effect is, is very limited, uh, a lot less than if you have a team like the Chicago Blackhawks, which have got a national following, you get so much more fan engagement. Having said all that, despite the fact that the Tampa Bay Lightning are a regional brand, despite the fact that, you know, people don't necessarily associate Tampa with, you know, hockey excellence, they've got to get used to making that connection because the results speak for themselves. This is a, uh, a franchise that has made the playoffs more than half the year that it's been in the National Hockey League. Uh, they've made four Stanley Cup finals. And they've also uh, come close in a couple of uh, conference finals as well. So there's no question the track record is there, especially uh, over these past uh, couple of years where I believe uh, in 11 months, in the period of 11 months, they won 32 of 45 playoff games. Uh, That is quite a run. And so, you know, we might not, again, relate to them the way we would some of these other heritage brands, but I would suggest that under the ownership of uh, Jeff Vinnick, uh, the former hedge fund manager, uh, the general management of Julien Brisebois, uh, veteran obviously with roots in the Montreal Canadiens organization uh, back in the day, and then Steve Griggs, the uh, Canadian-born team CEO, 
uh, I would put the uh, Lightning uh, as one of the best, probably top three run organizations when you combine hockey operations and business operations, when you combine on the ice with off the ice. So, you know, certainly uh, Dynasty got to be very careful in the salary cap era, but that's the other area where you have to give them full props. They become only the second franchise in the salary cap era to win back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. The Pittsburgh Penguins did it just a few years ago. They went back-to-back and were, were foiled in their three-peat. And that isn't a easy thing to do. It's especially not an easy thing to do, Jeff, uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, here, but here's what the Lightning have done. Under very challenging circumstances, especially last year in the bubble in Edmonton and, and, and Toronto, uh, they have won back-to-back COVID-19 seasons with a lot of protocols, a lot of stresses that the uh, teams wouldn't normally uh, have to endure. Sure, not as much travel as well uh, and shortened seasons, including this one going down to 56 games. But I think it's ironic that the Tampa Bay Lightning have done what they've done with such deft management of the salary cap. Some would say exploitation of loopholes. Uh, that puts them 18, 19 mil, you know, over mm-hmm. the cap. But it's ironic, Jeff, that that salary cap that the Tampa Bay Lightning have, have, you know, found a way to push the envelope on, it came into the league the year after they won their first Stanley Cup championship in 2004. Of course, that lost 2004-2005 season is when the CBA first introduced the salary cap. Yeah, does the league have to fix some of those loopholes that you think exist? I don't think anyone's like overly angry with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't break any rules by any stretch, but a lot of people not too uh, thrilled to see a team, you know, $18 million above the salary cap. No, no surprise that they would dominate when they have a payroll like that. Uh, yeah, you know what? I mean, I, I, I think on the one hand, you, you praise them for, uh, you know, really understanding the topology here, really understanding what the provisions are, and using long-term injured reserve uh, to their benefit, of course, uh, uh, in, in the name of Nikita, Kust- uh, uh, Nikita Kucherov in, in, in the first place. Uh, there's no question you can, you know, you can give them props for finding that loophole. On the other hand, you, you, you do want to have a cap that serves franchises, uh, you know, equally and equitably, you know, the casual fan will not understand that. And they'll see it as sort of open quotes, small C cheating, close quotes kind of thing. Uh, I do think in answer to your question, though, that the league will close some of those gaps. And I think they need to do some homework. I mean, they're approaching uh, the, you know, 20 year anniversary in a couple of years of the salary cap. And, you know, I think they, they should clean things up so that these kinds of, let's say, with injured reserve can't happen. I also think that there needs to be some uh, consideration uh, on um, uh, salary cap recapture penalties. You know, the Vancouver Canucks signed Roberto Luongo to that uh, massive contract this day. His part of his salary is still counting against the cap, even though that was brought in retroactive. It was brought in after the open quotes deed had been done. So uh, I do think there needs to be some some cleanup. You want the, 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 the best salary caps, you know, provide for some flexibility. 
but not this kind of flexibility. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I'll, I'll leave the conversation there on the NHL for now because I did want to get to a couple of other things. Of course, the biggest tournament going on in the world right now is the Euro 2020. And, you know, much like the Montreal Canadiens making it to the finals here this year, we're seeing England in the Euro finals here this summer as well. I mean, this has to be a huge poll. England versus Italy, two of the top soccer nations in the world, but specifically looking at England, who hasn't won a thing since 1966. This is going to be a, a massive poll for an audience, I would expect, on Sunday. Uh, you got that right, Jeff. I mean, this is a very fascinating soccer business story. Uh, it's a very fascinating case study for what can happen in fan engagement and one of the things we'll be talking about on radio and l 6 10 a.m this weekend on the sport market is exactly that the television impact of having the three lions having england in the uefa champions league uh, sorry in the uefa european cup uh, championship having them at home at london's wembley stadium having the opportunity to for the first time in you know basically three generations win a major title. They've never won the European Cup. And as you mentioned, uh, when they defeated West, the then West Germany in 1966, that was the last time that they won a, a major championship. So you've got 55 years, more than a half century, uh, where England hasn't been a factor. You fast forward now to 2018, um, when you had the FIFA World Cup in Russia, and England made the semifinals before losing to Croatia. That was still uh, an impressive run by uh, by this team. Uh, if they win on Sunday against Italy, you'd expect that they'd be playing as one of the favorites at the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Uh, you know, at the end of next year, at the end of 2022. And you add all that up, that means you've got a lot of kids watching England win world championships Uh, you've got a lot of imprinting going on especially with kids age 8 to 12 i think this has the opportunity especially when you add some of the club soccer success that england has had over the past three years with uh, both liverpool and 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 this past year chelsea winning the uefa champions league from the uh, epl uh, you add all that together, it's a great time to be an English soccer fan. It's a great time to be an England supporter. And I think it translates into the possibility of in 15 to 20 years, uh, England having some of its best teams ever, uh, you know, created by this uh, run of an English team that could make it to, uh, you know, could over the course of three years uh, make it to two World Cups um, and for four years, make it to two World Cups and, uh, and 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 one European Cup final four each time. So there's a lot riding at stake here. If England wins the championship, it'll be the most important thing to have happened to English football uh, since 1966. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the match on uh, Sunday. I'm definitely going to have my eyes glued to the TV to see if England can pull it off. I, I really kind of want to see it happen just so I can see the entire country of England just go nuts on Sunday. I think it'll be a heck of a sight to see. So looking forward to that match uh, on Sunday afternoon. One more thing, and that is the BC Lions. I wanted to ask, touch on them briefly because their uh, camp is opening up tomorrow right here in Kamloops. We know we're less than a month away now from the CFL season actually getting kicked off. Um, but this is just a, a 
perfect sign, a beautiful picture to see that we're finally getting Canadian football back on the gridiron. And, you know, it's just training camp right now, but it's definitely uh, pointing to a, a bright future here for the Canadian Football League this summer and actually being able to play some games. And, of course, we got word not too long ago that there will be some fans in the stands as well. Yeah, I think it's huge for Kamloops, which, of course, has a long-standing relationship with the BC Lions, uh, you know, building on its reputation as the tournament capital of, of Canada, uh, you know, uh, amateur sport, minor sport, training, uh, competition events, um, you know, special events. Uh, very few cities the size of Kamloops do it as well as Kamloops does, and I think that's why uh, they burned the trust of the BC Lions, and that affiliation is there. And that's also why, on a per capita basis, uh, there are more CFL fans and BC Lions fans uh, in the interior uh, than any other part of the province. And so, uh, you know, you you celebrate the fact that we've gone through obviously uh, 16 months of all, all kinds of constraints and limitations. All you need to do is ask, you know, Kamloops Blazers fans about how frustrating that has been to not be able to have fans in the stands so here you've got training camp uh you've got the exemption with you know the the, the one week quarantine uh we're getting closer and closer to the light of the tunnel and Kamloops will be one of those um uh markets that will be benefiting from this to be able to you know for people to uh you know not only uh, see training camp uh, uh, welcome the bc alliance to the community but you know prepare for the august 5th kickoff uh which you know should have at least you know uh, 5000 fans and when you look at the letter of the law under the phase 3 provisions uh they could technically sell out the lower bowl and uh uh, that would be a big deal for the uh, uh, for the BC Lions at 50% capacity. Uh, I would imagine it'll be 50% of the 50%, uh, and they'll focus on you know the the lower bowl only. But boy, oh boy, it'll be good to see three down football because remember, uh, and and this is not just something that affected fans in Kamloops, but there was no CFL season at all last year. Mm-hmm. It just couldn't have gone dark two years in a row. It's good to see Kamloops. Uh, you know, part of the, uh, uh, the, the the revival, so to speak, of free down football. Yeah, it's going to be uh, just nice to see the team here o- over the next uh, 10 days, I believe it is, that they are in Kamloops, and I'm sure they'll, you know, I don't think we have too much opportunity to get down there and see them, but there'll be a little bit of chances as well. So exciting stuff for sure. BC Lions, can't wait to see them in Kamloops tomorrow and back on the uh, field at BC Place here later on this summer as well. Tom, thanks so much for the time as always. Looking forward to the show this weekend and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Really appreciate it, Jeff. Just on my way out the door on a somber note, but also a note of recognition. Uh, Obviously, the community is still reeling from the uh, uh, the sudden death of Don Moore's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that certainly is a big loss, not just for the Blazers organization, but for the Western Hockey League. He was a very, very popular uh, team executive. And I know that uh, uh, I believe this coming Tuesday, the 13th, uh, at the Sandman Center, there will be an opportunity for people to salute, uh, you know, certainly mm-hmm. a, a key hockey executive in, in, in your community's history and in the WHL. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate those words. And, uh, well, what definitely a big loss that Kamloops community is continuing to reel from. So I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much. Take care, Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Tom. That's uh, Tom Maynick right there, uh, host of Sport Market, which runs on Radio and Air Saturdays from 2 to 6, Sundays 
from 5 until 9. Again, uh, Manic rates and debates the bulls and bears of sports business, taking a behind-the-scenes look at sports business stories that matter most to fans. And, uh, yeah, thanks, Tom, for those kind words at the very end. I know it's uh, something a lot of people are still trying to grapple with, the sudden loss of uh, Kamloops Blazer president uh, Don Moore's, uh, again, a celebration of life, will be occurring on Tuesday at the Sandman Centre.